0: Recovery Elevator Episode 15.
1: You know, I had to accept the situation that I was in, the predicament of, you know, where I was in my life and I had to learn how to be okay with it.
0: Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul. According to my Recovery Elevator sobriety app on my iPhone and it's also available on the Android, I have been sober for 8 months, 3 weeks. 7 hours and 4 minutes, One, two, three seconds. On today's podcast, I have Shane Raymer, who actually has his own podcast called That Sober Guy Podcast. It's a long interview, which is fantastic, so I will keep my segment shorter today. Before we get into that interview with Shane, I want to talk to you about something that I've struggled with for a long time. It's accepting your current situation. This podcast has no ties or affiliation with Alcoholics Anonymous or any other 12-step program. However, there is this book, it's big, and it's blue. Some people, including myself, refer to it as the big book. There's a page, 417. On that page is a paragraph that is very dear to me. Instead of summarizing it, I'm just going to read it. And it's in the chapter, Acceptance Was the Answer. And acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. When I am disturbed, it is because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact in my life, unacceptable to me. And I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, or thing, or situation as being exactly the way it is supposed to be at that moment. Nothing, absolutely nothing happens in God's world by mistake. Until I could accept my alcoholism, I could not stay sober. Unless I accept my life completely on life's terms, I cannot be happy. I need to concentrate not so much on what needs to be changed in the world as on what needs to be changed in me and my attitudes. I remember the day I first read that paragraph. It was a couple years ago. It was a day where I currently wasn't accepting my current situation. My current situation now I'm 33. I'm an alcoholic. I'm single. I'm dealing with financial and legal matters due to my drinking. And it's even rainy while I make this podcast right now. It's the end of May. Summer's supposed to be here. But that list can go on and on and on. But today is different from the day that I first read that paragraph. I am accepting my current situation. Because if you can't accept your current situation, you will never be happy. You will always be trying to change something outside of your life that you just simply cannot change. You cannot control the actions of other people. You can only control the actions of yourself. Now there is a capital G-O-D in that paragraph. It says nothing happens in God's world by mistake. You know what? It doesn't matter if you believe in God or you don't. You've got to have a higher power in this whole quitting drinking thing, and that is not an option. So Replace that capital G-O-D with your higher power, your beautiful sunset, the ocean wave, whatever it may be. But really, nothing does happen in this world by mistake. Whenever I go home to visit my parents in Colorado, I take a trip down memory lane. I go down to the basement and I pull out my box that's got my old journals in it. And sometimes I read some entries. And I don't recall ever reading, being age 33, an alcoholic, single. In fact, my goal was to be married by age 28 be a millionaire by the age 30 in fact i came up over a million short of that goal and being an alcoholic was not the plan of course being alcoholic was not the plan getting a full-ride college football scholarship to the university of utah was the plan and then i only got to be five foot nine inches tall and not very fast or strong so division three football was the best choice for me sure it was not the plan It wasn't Eric's plan to become paralyzed after six months of sobriety. I interviewed Eric a couple podcast episodes back. There are a lot of unexpected things that happen in life that have nothing to do with our plan. In fact, a plan, that's really all it is. A business plan? A business plan will get you through the first week of business and you better be ready to change or else you might be out of business. So like I say in previous podcasts, being alcoholic is not to find me. It's not part of my plan. And it doesn't matter if it is or it wasn't. Why would it be part of my plan? It's what I do moving forward from here on out. There's another sentence in there that resonates a lot with me. Here it is. Unless I accept life completely on life's terms, I cannot be happy. Life's terms. What is that? Life's terms, I guess, is an unexpected bill or an unwanted bill showing up in your mailbox. A relative passing away. A bad relationship. Can your feelings hurt? A crappy Rainy day. The fifth rainy day in a row. I guess that's my life terms right now. Not a big deal. But it was these life terms. The everyday struggle. The crap quesadilla of life that I've talked about before. That I didn't want to experience. And I was escaping these everyday life on life's terms with alcohol. I just couldn't face the terms of life without this substance called alcohol in my body. And another thing, what does courage in sobriety look like? It's not running marathons. It's not getting your dream job. It's not fixing and repairing all these relationships that were damaged overnight. It's simply facing life on life's terms. Waking up and facing the day. That is what courage in sobriety looks like. It's facing this crap quesadilla without taking a drink. And that is enough out of me. Let's hear from Shane. And Recovery Elevator, I'd like to welcome Shane Raymer to the podcast. Shane, how are you? I'm doing great, Paul. How are you, man? I'm fantastic. Thanks for joining us. Listeners, you guys are in for a treat today. Shane actually has his own podcast called The Sober Guy Podcast. And this podcast focuses on living a positive, healthy, sober lifestyle. Shane has interviewed some guests such as Papa Roach front-ran, Jacoby e. Shaddix, comedian of the host of the Mental Illness Happy Hour, Paul Gilmartin, Alcatraz frontman, a longtime member of the hardcore straight-edge movement, Justin Coot, men's coach trip. The list goes on and on, Shane. And you can find this podcast on iTunes. It's called That Sober Guy Podcast. But Shane, thank you so much for joining us. The first question that I ask all my interviewees is this. How long have you been sober?
1: Uh, let's see. I, I will be coming up as long as I continue to, to live one day at a time and follow this little path that I'm on. It'll be two years in September. Uh, actually, September eleventh was my sobriety date, so that's coming up. I guess in a few months, time
0: flies. Shane, it seems like September is a great month to get sober. I got sober on September seventh of two thousand fourteen. So you are a year and four days ahead of me. That's awesome.
1: Nice man. That, yeah, that's that's great. It was it was a good. It was a good time, you know, that's, that's definitely for sure.
0: Yeah, and you got me by one year, four days. I am a competitive guy, and Shane, that's that, that's something I never want to win, right? I don't want to have more sobriety than you ever. I agree, man. Yeah, and listeners, I usually have a set list of questions that I ask interviewees, and I will still get to the rapid-fire round questions at the end of the podcast, but with Shane, I was going to do a recap of his bio of his story, but I'm going to let Shane kind of just take it from here for the next five, 10, 15 minutes. And Shane, tell us all about your story and And before you know you have a podcast, you were saying you've interviewed so many people and you've heard their story, and you haven't really shared your story. So Shane, here we go. Let's hear it.: Yeah,
1: hey, thanks, Paul. Um, yeah, it is it's kind of it's kind of different being on on the other end here today. Uh, you know, like you were just saying, I'm usually in your seat interviewing and and uh getting to ask the questions and so here I am today and I get to share a little bit about my story. So I'll just kinda of start from the beginning. You know, I, I'm I'm uh I was born in uh, in Vallejo, California. I'm from from the Bay Area and Northern California area. And um, you know, both both of my parents were very young when they had me. I think my mom was seventeen and my dad was eighteen. And, um, you know, I can't, I can't imagine that being that young, you know, I have two kids myself and I, you know, my wife and I, we didn't have our kids. until we were in our late twenties and I know where I was at when I was 17, 18, I can't imagine having a kid, the responsibility and, and all the, all the stress and the pressure of, of having to grow up quick like that. So, uh, so they had, they had me and, um, it, it was, it was, a it was a crazy, it was a crazy life, uh, growing up. I guess it wasn't the most, it wasn't the most stable environment that I grew up in. Um, I know my mom and my dad did the best they could, you know, with what they were given and, um, with the choices that they had made. So, you know, when I, once I got older and and was kind of able to understand this, um, it gave me a new perspective on things, but my family was very alcoholic or, or should I say my, my father. Uh, my father is an alcoholic. Um, I, like I was saying, growing up was very unstable. You never know, you never knew what mood was going to be around the house. You never knew what was going to happen. You know, the, the, the police were at our house often to, to break up domestic disputes. And, and usually I have, I have a sister also who's uh, five years younger than me. And it seemed like, um, you know, we were usually caught in the middle of it. And, you know, there was a lot of, of, uh, of counseling involved growing up. And, um, you know, never, never really any physical abuse. Thank God. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of kids out there who have it a hundred times worse than I ever had it. So I want to be very clear about that, but I don't, I don't think that my life was just so horrible growing up. There was some good things too. I played baseball growing up. My, my mom and dad never, never missed a game. You know, I was there. Um, you know, I had, I had a cool bike growing up. I had, You know, I I had some stuff, but I mean, when you look at it from a materialistic standpoint versus an emotional standpoint, um, you know, that that emotional uh, connection in our family just wasn't there. We we didn't communicate, you know, ever there. It was mostly yelling uh, or fighting a lot of the time. And all this revolved around alcohol and drugs, too. Um, So, you know, in, in a nutshell, I know we don't have eight hours. I could, I could tell you much more on that standpoint, but, um, you know, moving on as, as I was got into my early teens, you know, I was really against, uh, drinking, doing drugs, uh, even smoking cigarettes. I mean, I had a couple of buddies that we all kind of rode bikes together and hung out. And, uh, you know, we were very, very against that early on. And I had always vowed that I would never, ever, you know, drink or smoke or, or do anything like that because I saw what it did to you, and uh, I don't know. Maybe about fourteen or fifteen, um, I I tried smoking smoking pot for the first time, and uh, it was a it was a fun thing. I think we smoked out of a coke can. We smashed it up we poked some holes in it, and got all baked and ate a bunch of cake. So uh, that was an experience that I thought, you know, this this isn't so bad. I'm with my buddies and we're just hanging out and smoking a little herb, and so 15, you know, that, that kind of that entered that, that space for me, that opened that door up, um, you know, and, and I, had, I had drank beers, and, um, you know, to backtrack just a little bit, I can remember being in, in sixth grade and going, and uh, my, my buddy Seth, who's been on uh, that sober Guy podcast, he's a regular guest on there, him and I have been friends for a long, long time, we used to sneak beers in, you know, in the room you know, back in the day and, and drinking. So I think, I guess I don't mean to uh, jump around a little bit, but one thing I do want to say is I feel like my alcoholic ways, my alcoholic tendencies started from when I was a kid and they started way before I ever even had a first drink. This addictive personality, um, you know, these traits that I carried over that I saw growing up, they, they've always been there, whether it's been with sugar, um, you know, or alcohol or drugs or or I'm an all-or-nothing all type of guy. So I've always kind of been like that. But um, as I got into high school, you know, obviously, what do you know, in high school, a lot of kids, they try drinking. They try smoking. they Some of them move on and try other harder drugs. And so it was a party thing, you know. It was just on the weekends. That's just kind of what we did. I played baseball, and we had a good time on the weekends. When I graduated high school, you know, things, things kind of started to change. I felt really lost. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I, had, I had quit playing baseball. I, I had figured out earlier too that I had a love for music. And so I had picked a guitar up in my, in my teenage years and started kind of strumming around on the guitar and, and written some poetry. And so by this stage in my life, in my early 20s, I had figured out, okay, baseball wasn't going to work out. And, uh, I think I want to be a musician. Well, what comes hand-in-hand with being a musician? Or so we're told, what comes hand-in-hand? It's drugs and it's alcohol. So I was was ready. Let's drink, let's party. You know, I want to be in a band. I want to travel around and and see different places and play shows and and record music. And that's me, you know, that's who I am. And so I really truly believe that at this time, you know, that that's who I was. And, you know, fuck, my, my dad's an alcoholic, so I guess that's... I guess that's what I'm gonna be too. And the funny thing was, is that at the same time, as as much as I I love my dad, he's my father. I always wanted to make sure that I would never ever be like him, you know. So, so for me to to come to terms, you know, later on in my life with the fact that damn, I'm going down, I'm going down the same road, and I'm I'm gonna be just like him, you know. That was a huge wake up call. But from from alcohol, from pot. You know, to to cocaine, um, you know this this stuff. Just this disease. Just it, it'll it'll get you quick. I never ever thought that I'd be in a spot that I was in. You know, in my mid to late twenties, where um, you know a good friend of mine, we were recording a a, a full length album that we were about to put out, and we had talked to talked to um, a couple record labels, and I just thought that yeah, this is it. This is this is our big thing right here, and the album is called chemical diet. So I think the album kind of speaks for itself on, on what we were doing as we, as we were recording this album. It was, it was about a year and a half to two years of just this ongoing, ongoing cycle. And, um, you know, I had, I had my daughter around that time when I was 28, 29. And, um, and, and it was just, it was just this overwhelming sense of what the fuck am I doing here? like, what, who am I, basically? And I think as humans, we're trying to search for who we are. You know, and, and my music at the time was, was what I thought who I was. That's me. I'm just Shane. I'm just, I'm this party guy. Like, I'm balled out. Like, I don't care. Like, I'm just, this is what I want to do. And, um, and then Chris, Chris, uh, my partner and my, my good friend, he got into a, a, a really bad car accident. And uh, that left him, that left him um, severely brain damaged. And he was in a coma for, for 52 days, I think. And this was in 2012. And we put that Chemical Diet album on in 2011. And, um, and this, this woke me up, at least. You know, I went to the hospital that night. I got the phone call. And they said, Chris has been in a, in a, in a really bad car accident. He was driving home from work and he rolled down over the overpass and, um, you know, their life slided him out. He's in real bad shape. And, um, I can remember going to the hospital that next day and just thinking, what, what am I doing? Like, what are we doing? What did we do? Like, why? You know, and, and he was, he was laying there in pretty bad shape and I honestly didn't think he was going to make it. And I had said to myself at that time, I'm done. I'm done trying to live this, be this person that I'm not, you know, I'm done. Like, look, look at what, you know, look at what's happening right now in our lives by the choices that, that we make. And, um, so I happened to be there when Chris woke up from, from his coma and, uh, and, and he told me he, he could he couldn't really talk much. You know, he kind of mumbled that he was done. He was done doing that kind of stuff. And that. That kind of woke me up too. But the funny thing is, is I didn't stop there. It actually got worse after that. Um, even though I wanted to, I had been thinking about it for for a long time. And I think to backtrack real quick, even in 2010, um, I, out of being in trouble with my wife just for doing stupid things, um, I had said, okay, I'll get sober. And I got sober, I think it was for like 31 days. And that was a huge feat to me. And I, I couldn't figure out though why after 31 days I still felt like dog shit. Oh, what's going on? I I thought that once I got sober, everything was supposed to be great. Like all my problems were just supposed to go away. Um, But that wasn't the case. I still had the same problems. I still had all the same things. And so what did I do? I said, well, fuck, I guess drinking's not the problem. So on New Year's Eve, I had a glass of wine. And um, obviously one glass of wine, we know with alcoholics, um, at least for me, there's no point in having just one. I, I don't understand that, that aspect. So, you know, a few months down the road, this happens to Chris. Um, and here I am. I'm working a swing shift. I have my beautiful girl, my baby girl. I have my wife, you know, who, who are, are um, the loves of my life. And all that I can see is all the negativeness in my life and all of, the, all of the bullshit that's happened to me growing up. You know, all the issues that I have with my father. Um, with with myself, you know, blaming the world for all of my problems when in fact, I mean, it's, it's me, all this stuff stems from inside of me. And, um, so like I was saying, it progressed so fast. You know, I was, I was hiding bottles of, of, uh, of vodka, uh, you know, around my house so my wife wouldn't find it. I was getting off of work. um you know, late at night and I would come home and I would sit in the garage by myself and just get, just get fucked up. I'd pick up, I'd pick up some cocaine sometimes to, uh, to kind of sober up, I guess. And, um, you know, that's kind of a whole other part of, of my issue is it's just that all or none thing. And I was never, um, I never liked to use cocaine when I was sober, but as soon as I got a couple of drinks in me, it was on like, let's, let's get after it. Um, so as this progressed, these thoughts of I'm not going to do this tomorrow. Tomorrow I'm going to I'm going to make a change. I don't want to live this lifestyle. The depression of it, the um, you know just the unhealthiness. You know I was a I was a smoker too, and I would I would trade off. Well I'm not going to drink this week. I'll just smoke weed instead. So I would smoke weed for a week. You know, or well, I smoked weed every day anyways, but I would only smoke weed for a week. And then sure enough, you know, I'd be back drinking again on, on a night after work or a Saturday or a Friday or whenever. I mean, it, it, it gets to a point where the days are irrelevant. Um, so after all this, after the hiding it, after the shame and, and trying to stop and not being able to, to control it, um, you know, and I, and I, I apologize. I know I've, I've jumped around a little bit. And sometimes when we're telling these stories, there's so much that we want to get out, and that we want to talk about, and that we want to share with everybody to hope that maybe one little thing will catch somebody's attention. And so I feel like there's a lot more that I'm missing, and there probably is. Um, but you know, I I do share a lot of this in the podcast. So if anyone's listening out there and they you know they want to hear different parts of it, it's definitely out there too. Um, I just wanted to throw that out real quick. Um, but I I finally I finally just. I couldn't take it anymore. I, I literally could not take it anymore. Like, I I had this feeling in my gut um, that something really terrible was about to happen. I was drinking and driving almost daily. You know, I was drinking while I was driving. And I would drive erratically because I, I honestly, I didn't give a fuck about anything at that point. You know, I could just... I, I was... I was so stuck in myself and in my own head, although I had all these beautiful things around me. I had a good job. I had a beautiful wife, a beautiful daughter. I had, I had everything, and I have everything today, thank God. But at this time, I really did have a lot of things to be grateful about, but I just I was so blinded by it. So I finally, after pondering it for about a week, I finally just got to a point, I think it was on a Sunday, and I sat my wife down. Um, we, we actually went to a bar and I, you know, I ordered a, I think I had a, a double screwdriver and we sat out back on the patio and she could tell something was just wrong. And I, I didn't really know, I didn't really know what to say, you know, other than I, I, I basically just flat out told her, I said, look, I have a problem and I need help. I can't do this on my own. And and she said, okay. And she said, well, you know, what do you mean? And I said, And then I I proceeded to tell her, you know, and, and she, she had known, she knew the lifestyle, the way that we lived because we had partied a lot together. You know, we, we had done this for, for years. It's just what we did in our 20s. We didn't have kids. We, we partied. You know, we had a good time. There were a lot of good times, but they were always based on alcohol or drugs. And, uh, and so she said, you know, so what do you mean? And then I proceeded to tell her about the drinking and driving, about the hiding alcohol. You know, getting drugs late at night, this overwhelming feeling of depression. I couldn't take it anymore. You know, I just, I had like this, I had this death wish almost. Like, I just didn't care. And, um, you know, so I let all these feelings out to her. And it was probably one of the hardest things I've, I've had to do. Uh, but it was one of the most relieving feelings too. And, I, I still, till this day, feel bad saying that because I feel like, oh my gosh, my relief is letting all my shit out on, on my, my wife, you know, who's been there for me through thick and thin. Um, and, and thank God she didn't take it like that, you know. My, my wife is a strong, strong woman, and she's always been there for me, always been there by my side, no matter what. Um, and and she's never turned her back on me, and uh, she, she's been my rock through all of this. So, um, you know, that's basically... What she told me, I'm here for you. Like we're gonna, we'll get through this. Like, wh- what's the next step? So the next step was I called Seth, um, who had been sober for I think two years at that time, and um, and I went to him and I told him. You know, later on that night we met up at, at coffee, and uh, we started talking about about rehab. You know, he kind of gave me some guidance and and some thoughts on what he went through and kind of what I was going through and was able to relate to some things. And I think he, I think he knew that I was ready, you know, truly ready because like I said, I'd been through this before and I just, I wasn't ready at the time. So I had, I had sat with Seth and, and luckily for me, which, which I think was was part of the reason that helped me really push me along into making the final decision to go to rehab. There's a place called Azure Acres and um, it's in Sebastopol, California which is near the coast, um, Santa Rosa area. And um, Seth had been there two years previously. So he was able to kind of provide me with some information about this place and what he had experienced in there. So that kind of helped relieve that, um, you know, those butterflies and that that anxiousness and that feeling of of rehab. I mean, just saying the word, I still, a lot of the time, I, I just say treatment center because I think there's this huge stigma behind the word rehab and maybe it's because it's an Amy Whitehouse song or it's um, you know it's you I feel like it's used as some as some cool thing yeah but I went to rehab and I know it is used like that sometimes you know and unfortunately that's that's not what it's about and uh, the other end of that is it's also looked at I think as a negative thing because it's not because people want to try to be mean, I think it's because people are ignorant to it. They don't understand what treatment is. They don't understand the disease of addiction, of alcoholism. Um, And I wouldn't expect them to. I wouldn't expect anybody to understand it, um, you know, who hasn't actually lived through it or been in a situation where they've seen it firsthand. And to tell you the truth, I don't fucking understand it. And I don't think I ever, who knows, I probably never will understand it. The one thing I do understand at that moment in my life is I knew what I needed. I knew that I could not do it on my own. I knew that um, nobody was going to change things for me. Nobody was going to hand me anything. Nobody was going to create this life that that I wanted to live except me. And so in order for me to do that, I had to make this decision. And I had to to say, God, I got to leave my wife and my, my daughter, who was two at the time. You know, I have to leave and go away. And it was one of the most difficult decisions I had to make, but I knew in my heart that it was the right decision. And I knew that over time that this would be the decision that would change our lives as a family and make us stronger in the long run. So I had to sacrifice those 30 days um, just to get a start, just to get a jump on, um, you know, on the rest of our future. So anyways... I, I, decide, um, I decide I'm, I'm going to go to rehab, okay? And, and, and lucky enough for me, like I said, I, had a, I have a pretty decent job that I was able to call a hotline and get some information about it and have them, have them kind of help me through the process of getting started. So Azure Acres had a bed, um, and it was like two days after I had talked with my wife, or maybe three. I think that was on a Sunday. I think I left on that Wednesday. And Seth and my wife, um, you know, we packed my, my stuff up, uh, that morning and we headed out to Sebastopol. Um, and I was, I was, I was very nervous. I was uneasy. I knew that I was making the right decision. Um, but at the same time, those questions that, that it's like, and I've said this often, it's like the good angel and the bad angel. To me, that, that exists so much in my head. I got one side of me telling me that you're doing the right thing, and I have the other side of me fighting it, telling me what the fuck is wrong with you. There, there's nothing wrong with you. You just you party just like everybody else. All you like to do is enjoy a little, a little smoke, a little drink. You work hard. You, know, you take care of your... So that whole side of it, and they're going back and forth. They're clashing in my head, and they're just like, it's overwhelming. You know, and and, and at this time, I don't know how to deal with that stuff because I don't have the education to deal with it. The only way I know how to deal with it is by picking up a bottle or by secluding myself or by doing music. That was another outlet that I had, you know, to get away from that. But hand-in-hand with music is drugs and alcohol. So it's all one, basically. So I get to Azure Acres, um, you know, I get my stuff out and we walk up the hill and I, I don't I can't really describe the feeling in my gut other than just, just anxiousness, you know. Um, here I am, I'm gonna leave my, my friend, my wife, and I'm gonna be alone with these new people, um, you know, these people I don't know. Who's gonna be here? What's gonna happen? Um, you know, so there was a lot of, a lot of feelings to that. And, um, and, and, so once I got inside, um, you know, you get a bed. And, uh, in, in a detox room, I think I was in a detox room for four or five days, and they give you some, uh, um, you know, different meds to kind of help with the detox. Uh, there was a lot worse people that came in than I, than I was in. I don't think I had drank the day, the day that I went in, or the day before, actually, because I, I just, I was ready. I was ready to get sober. You know, there, there was, there was some other people in there that, uh, weren't in that great of shape. You know, people come in in all, all types of different conditions. Um, but God, what a what a what a great place! What a wonderful place, like to to get to experience, um, you know, and to get the opportunity at a second chance at life, at finding out who I am. I've lost a lot of friends over the years, um, you know, to to addiction and um, and to alcoholism, and some of those have been through death. And some of them have been through jails and some of them have been just through, you know, mentally, like they're not there. They're not who they used to be. And so I feel lucky today and I felt lucky then. And I took this going in there that here, God's giving me an opportunity at a second chance right now. Thank God, nothing bad happened to me yet. You know, it, it may have been close, but I caught it. And I'm so lucky enough to do that as my buddy, you know, Ryan Rogers, you know, a good friend of mine who, who we lost to addiction, you know, who was a good, a good dude, had a lot to live for, but he just, he didn't get that chance that, that I got. And so just that alone, just me thinking of him was like, you better sack up and you better be a man and you better stand up and be honest with yourself. So I, you know, through all the anxiousness and through the, you know, through the, the feelings going into this, I was able to keep that mindset going in there and really soak in all of the counseling, all of the therapy, all of the speakers, um, you know, we did NA and AA meetings every night there. Uh, so I got a chance to hear from a lot of different people like this disease does not discriminate against, it doesn't care if you're black, if you're white, if you're a doctor, if you're a bum, it it doesn't give a shit who you are. It will get you. I can guarantee it. it. It, it, does not matter, you know? And, and if, if it's progressive, like it was, or I, it is progressive and, and I'm a perfect example of that, you know, of how it can spin down, you know, downhill really, really fast. Um, but there was, there was a man in there uh, who was a counselor named David. And uh, I, I would say uh, between David and James was my direct counselor. Those two guys had a huge impact on me. Um, you know, David, number one, the guy should be dead. He should have been dead a long time ago of the lifestyle he lived. Um, he was a heroin and a, um, and a, uh, cocaine, speed, whatever, whatever you want. Um, you know, and he did it for, I think about, I think 30 years. He lived that lifestyle. And I don't know how he pulled through, but he did. And he's, he's, you know, been sober for, I don't know, 15 or 20 years now. And he's changing lives in this, in this facility. And he had a huge impact on me. And, um, Because he was real. You know, he was real. Like, that's what it takes to get sober. You have to be real with yourself. You have to be honest. And you have to want it. You can't do it for your mom or for your wife or for your kid or for your dog or whoever the hell you want to get sober for. It has to be for yourself. And that's it. And if you don't want it, then keep drinking. Keep using drugs. Keep doing whatever the hell you're doing. But I can guarantee you, you're going to end up in a pine box, in a jail, or in an institution. And it talks about that in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is, you know, definite read and and something that, you know, helped to change my way of thinking and and helped to educate me on a lot of things, you know, with this disease. Um, So I'm going to kind of jump ahead now, you know, the the rehab thing. I got out after 30 days. My wife came to pick me up. It was, it was a, um, it was an unbelievable experience to say the least. Uh, Something that, that I'll never forget. I met a lot of good people in there. Um, You know, one thing that I really tend to understand is that a lot of us are really good people, you know, at heart. We have good hearts and, and, and we mean well, but we just have this thing in us that it's not compatible with alcohol or with drugs. And it's not compatible with life. So we learn how to, how to be honest with ourselves. So, that got me on a path to starting to be honest with myself, my reality, my situation, and so my wife came to pick me up, my daughter, and I, I was so happy to see them. And um, I think we went to the beach afterwards, and we sat there, and um, it was probably one of the most awkward times in my life for my wife and I. And um, and here's why: It's because I've known my I've known my wife uh, Jessica. Her name's Jessica. I've known her since we were 12 years old. Okay. And and we grew up together. And when we got into our twenties, we didn't, we didn't get together till our early twenties. And unfortunately all, all we knew how to do was to party and to have a good time. So a lot of our relationship, a lot of our communication, a lot of the things that we did, it was all based around alcohol. It was all based around going out and having a good time when, when it was time to go, Talk and let loose. That's what we did. We went to a bar. We went to a restaurant. We went out with friends, and we went to we went to drink. And uh, so now here we are, sitting on the beach. I've just been gone for thirty days. Um, I'm supposed to be this cured man now, you know. and, And oh my God, I'm I'm sober now, you know. And and it's not like that, you know. It's it's just not like that. And and you have to be okay with that. And it's very confusing at first. Um, but what I'm getting at is basically we've had to, um, we've had to rebuild our marriage. We've had to rebuild our relationship because not, not only are we married, are we in love, you know, are we husband and wife and father and mother, but we're also friends. You know, we were friends a long time before we ever got together. So now I have to rebuild this, this friendship and this marriage and being a dad, you know, and being a husband and her being a wife and, Um, you know, it's been, it's been difficult at times, I got to say, um, but talk a little bit about today where I'm at today is it's, it's unbelievable to me. And I think a lot of us out there, and let, let me say this real quick too. For me, alcohol and drugs, it's not, it's not the immediate issue. It's not the immediate problem is the alcohol and drugs. That's a symptom of myself. That's a symptom of the shit that I've been through and not dealt with, that I've stuffed down deep in that little hole, that little secretive box down in your heart that you don't want to tell anybody about because you're too embarrassed or you're too ashamed or, or you just, you don't feel like you want to talk about it. So what do we do? We cover it up. We cover it up with a bottle, with a drug, with food, with whatever comforts us, you know? And so for me to, to kind of figure out that, you know what? Yeah, I, I'm not compatible with alcohol and drugs. That is definitely a problem for me, but it's myself. I'm the one. I'm the one with these issues. I'm not educated in how to deal with these type of feelings that I have, with this type of person that I've become. And once I figured that out, and I, like this light bulb came on, you know, and and it was like, okay, like I can I can really do this now. Because my brain is starting to fall out now, you know, over over you know a couple of days being home, and a couple of weeks being home, and then sure enough, a couple of months, you know, and I'm still I'm still sober, and I'm starting to figure this thing out a little bit, Um, you know, I'm starting to get a little bit of grasp on who I am, and um, and and all this comes with hard work, and you got to want it. So I don't want to make it sound like it's all you know easy, because it's not. Uh, You know, you got to put the work in. You got to work on it daily. Go to AA meetings. Go to NA meetings. Listen to podcasts. Educate yourself. Educate yourself on life. But most importantly, I had to educate myself on me. I had to take a a hard look in the mirror and be honest. That's one of the most important words that we can think about to ourselves is honesty. You know, how hard is it to be honest with yourself? Because you don't want to hear The things that you've done or the things that, you know, the person you've become or what this person thinks of you or what, how you hurt that person. All those types of things, we have to start letting those things out. And I don't want to get into, you know, the the AA thing too much. I I really encourage people, though, to check it out. Be open-minded about it because there is a lot of good people in there, you know, and, and not only the people, but the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous is, it's a savior to people. And a lot of people ask me, you know, oh, do you go to meetings often? And, you know, honestly, I, I don't. I think that it's to each his own. Everyone has a certain way that they're going to work their program. I know that's kind of against, you know, some of the AA teachings, but, hey, it, that's what works for me. Today, started the podcast a year ago. I You know, I was at work still. I still had to go back to work on a swing shift you know, at the time. And I had to accept it. You know, I had to accept the situation that I was in, the predicament of, you know, where I was in my life. And I had to learn how to be okay with it and stop trying the future trip and think about, you know, what's going to happen tomorrow? Well, fuck that. What's going to happen right now? I'm sitting here right now. You know, what am I doing? I'm here. I'm in the moment. And if you can do that, that'll help to relieve some of that, that that thing that goes on up in our brains up there. Because I know if, if you're like me, mine runs. And it runs fast. And it runs when I'm sleeping and when I wake up in the morning and all throughout the day. My wife still has to snap her fingers sometimes to get me to snap out of it because I'll be, we'll be on a walk and I'll just be off just thinking about stuff. And it's just the way my brain works. But, you know, I heard, I heard an interview on a podcast, and that's what I did at work to try to get through the time. I, I, I started getting into podcasts. And I found the New Man podcast with Chip Lanier. And I'll definitely recommend that. He's a great guy. And um, he has some great interviews about just living a positive life and how to make changes in our life. But I heard an interview with him with Greg Wong, who's a professional surfer. And um, that really changed something that night that I listened to that. And I came up with this idea, like, I'm here to help people. I'm here. You know, that's my purpose. We're all searching for a purpose in life. You know, and, and for the longest time, I thought it was being a baseball player. I thought it was being a, a, a professional musician. I thought it was being a party guy. No, it wasn't. It wasn't any of those. It was, we're here to help people. That's it. And so I came up with this idea to start, you know, a podcast and start, and start talking to different people about living in recovery and just, just exactly what you're doing, Paul. Um, you know, same same type of concept. Like, we, we want to help people. And um so I kind of started on that road and, and that's really helped to keep me sober too. At times when those thoughts pop up, number one, I'm not going to ever disappoint my family. And number two, I, all this time and effort and, um, you know, heart that I put into this operation with that sober guy podcast would be out the window. And I'd be letting a lot of people feel so like, um, you know, not only myself and my family, but listeners as well. Uh, yeah, life today is, uh, I can't believe it sometimes. And I, don't have, I don't have a whole lot of shit. I'm not rich. I don't have a big fat house. I don't have a nice, you know, super nice car or anything, but I got everything. You know, I really do. I have everything because I have my mind. I have my mind that's clear. I have my heart. I have my passion about the things that I'm passionate about, you know, now. And it, and it's truly genuine. It's not a bunch of bullshit that it was before, you know, in end things for the wrong reasons. Like now I live my life for the right reason, you know, and it's for, it's for my family and it's to have a good time and to enjoy life. You know, it's, it's, it's really about enjoying each day.
0: Thank you so much for sharing your story. Like you said earlier, this could be an eight hour podcast and (laughs) incredible stuff. A couple points I want to, I want to touch up on. It sounds like when you told your wife, you told Seth, that you realize you're going to have to leave your wife and your beautiful kids for 30 days to go to rehab, you got outside what is called your comfort zone to getting sober. Talk to listeners about how it is quintessential to get outside of your comfort zone if you want to get sober.
1: Absolutely, Paul, and you, you got that right on, right on point right there. It's okay for us to be uncomfortable. and Being in our comfort zone, is what doesn't allow us as people to change because we're comfortable. It's what we know. It's the the situation that we're in. In order to do that, in order to get out of your comfort zone, you have to be honest with yourself. Let let me speak for myself. I had to be honest with myself to get out of my comfort zone. And that meant admitting to myself first, admitting to my wife next that I had a problem, and then I admitted it to, to a friend, to Seth too. And so that enabled me, that held me accountable, you see, because I had hidden everything, even though I, well, people knew, but I thought I was hiding it, put it that way. And so in in order, in order for you to do that, you got to step out and you got to be honest with yourself. Otherwise you're never going
0: to change. And listeners, in the 15, 16 episodes that I currently have, there are reoccurring themes and reoccurring words. One of them is accountable, accountability and honesty. And those are imperative words and character traits that you have to master in sobriety. And and Shane, let me ask you a question. In your bio, you talk about a case of the fuck And we've all had a yeah. case of the fuck where you get three days of sobriety and you're like, well, fuck it. I've only got three days. Or, well, today was a long day. <laughs> fuck it. I'm drinking. Yeah. Talk to me about how we can get over the case of the fuck-it.
1: <laughs> you know, it's funny you, you bring that up, Paul, because I just had a case of the fuck it the other day. Uh, it's, I don't think it goes away. Um, at least for me, it doesn't. You know, but, but the important thing is, is that we figure out that that those those types of thoughts, whether it's a case of the fuck it, or whether it's I really want to have a drink right now or whether it's I just am in a, a, a dick mood right now, it's important for us to understand those feelings and to know that they're going to be there and to address them. And the way we do that is by just what I was saying, you know, being honest and what you were saying, being accountable for the for our actions. But we have to know that those feelings More than likely from all of the different people, you know, guys, women women and men with 10 days of sobriety to 30 years of sobriety, they've all told me the same thing, that it never goes away. Those thoughts never, ever go away. So we have to be okay with that. We have to learn that, you know what? That's just me. I'm going to have those thoughts. Those thoughts are okay. It's okay to have a shit day and say, fuck it, but that doesn't mean that I need to go and use that as an excuse to go get drunk. I always love to, to, to say this one and it was from James in Azure and he was my, my therapist and um, he would say I, you know you have 10 days of sobriety and I have 17 years but we're both one bad decision away from total destruction and so point being is it really is irrelevant you know like a, when we put a time on things because these type of feelings we have they're never going to go away we just have to educate ourselves and we do that by reading, by meetings, by talking to other people, by staying connected in our communities of recovery um, you know that's how that's how we combat those those types of thoughts, those fuck it thoughts, those those feelings of um you know of of just negativity
0: understanding the feelings and addressing them is key because like you said, we will all continue to have a case of the fuckets in sobriety and like you, I had a major case of the fuckets about five days ago, but instead of turning to tequila or a box full of wine, I walked my dog, right? My case of the it, the results, and to mitigate that problem is I go for a hike, I go for a run, I walk my dog, I do, I do anything, but I don't drink these days, which is incredible. And Shane, there is one concept I've had emails about this of how important it is to focus on the similarities and not the differences when you're hearing a podcast or when you're at your first AA meeting. Because I tell you what I would have done, Shane, if I had heard this exact episode at the very beginning, I would have said, well, I don't live in California. I, I, I have nothing in common with this guy. Vallejo, I've never even heard of that. Is that even on this planet? I can't be an alcoholic because number one, I don't play guitar. and..." and there's so many differences in there, but tell me about how you just got to listen to the similarities.
1: That's an easy thing to do, and good, good question, by the way. That's the easy thing to do because we only hear what we want to hear. You know, we only hear the things that are going to fit into our little play, into our little imaginary world. That's when we're drinking and using, it's not reality. You know, so it is important. We, we, all, we all share the same, the same feelings. You know, a lot of us, most of the time, and like I said, this, this disease doesn't discriminate. So it doesn't care where you're from, you know, how, how big you are, how short you are, what uh, nationality you are, if you're gay, straight, it doesn't care. So keep that in mind, you know, when when we're listening to things, when we're reading things, you know, that just because your situation may not be exactly the same, you know, I can guarantee you that... There's somebody out there who's going through the exact same thing that you are, and maybe you know, maybe it's halfway around the world, maybe it's like you know your next door neighbor, but you really gotta. And I, I think too, after that, real quick, is enab- enabling yourself to hear the similarities. You really have to. You really have to want to get sober. You know, I, I, like to be honest, I'm I'm tired of talking to people. About, you know, I've, I've done this many times with family and with friends and with strangers. You know, they come up and they ask, you know, how, how I got sober or why I'm sober. They think they may have a drinking problem. And I don't ever put it out there unless somebody asks me. You know, and, and you give them the talk, you know, and you tell them that you don't, you don't ever want to assume anything. But what I have came to realize is that I, I could talk till I'm blue in the face to somebody about getting sober. About changing your life, about you know doing the things that you've always wanted to do, being the person you've always wanted to be, and it doesn't make a damn difference unless they want to do it themselves. what I'm getting at here is when you're listening to these things or when, when we ask people or, you know we're hearing other people talk or' we're reading, whatever it is we're doing, it really starts with us. We really have to want you have to want really, really bad, you know more than that. to to make the changes in our lives.
0: Shane, that is a good segue into my last question before we hit the rapid fire round. You said it in your story, for yourself. You have to quit drinking for yourself. You can't do it for a spouse. You can't do it for a friend or a neighbor or an other family member. You've got to quit drinking for yourself. How important is that for you to quit drinking for yourself?
1: It's one of the most important things in my life. You know, and I know that it may come across even as selfish sometimes. Like I, I felt like that. I felt very selfish going into rehab. I felt I felt very selfish about the whole situation. But this disease is a very selfish disease. That's it's always about me, 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 me. What do I want? What is why? Why is God doing this to me? Why did that person hurt me? And that's why it's so imperative that we figure that out for ourselves. So. For me to be able to stop drinking and come to that conclusion before I lost my life or I ended up in jail or I ended up divorced, like so many of people that I know that are in these situations, you know, for me to be able to stand up and get a second chance and, and you know, God said, look, it's up to you. It's up to you. Like No one's going to do it for you. I thought for so long that someone, some magic life fairy was going to come down and sprinkle some dust on me and give me a million dollars and, uh, you know, wh- everything that I wanted to be in life. Well, it doesn't work like that. You know, you got to put the work in. You got to want it. You got to want it back. I'm just very thankful that I was given the opportunity to do that.
0: Shane, we have reached the rapid fire round where you answer these questions within 30 to 60 seconds. Are you Ready. Ready. Number one, what was your worst memory from drinking?
1: My worst memory is, is probably waking up and telling myself that I wasn't going to drink again. Over and over and over and over and over and over. And over. Um, when I think back, you know, that feeling of, of being sl- like just slightly hung over and just ashamed and guilty. And, you know, because you knew and you promised yourself the day before that you were going to quit and you didn't, you know, and then by noon again, you were back to it. Uh, when I think back to, to drinking days, I think that was part of my lowest and probably, uh, probably one of the shittiest spots I was in.
0: Shane, what's your plan in sobriety moving forward?
1: Uh, my plan in sobriety moving forward is to just put one foot in front of the other and try to do the next right thing, try to continue to make the right decisions uh, and really put myself out there to help other people. Because when I'm in my own head, I'm not me, that's not me. that's what happens in my head as I get wrapped up in it, and that's when all hell will start to break loose, and I will start losing. But when I'm out there helping others and genuinely caring about others and genuinely putting love out there and trying to play my part in this world as a good man, as a good friend, as a dad, you know, a good husband, um all those things combine. You know, that keeps me straight. That keeps me wanting to just continue living this positive lifestyle and never going back to that dark place I was ever in ever again.
0: Shane, what is your favorite resource in your recovery?
1: Um, my favorite resource is, is probably, uh, I think, to staying connected. I think staying connected to people, um, you know, whether it's in your community in meetings or whether it's through a podcast or whether it's the literature, things you're reading, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, um, you know, talking to different people. I think for me, those are the things that, that have really helped me, help me stay sober, you know? I'd I, I say there's kind of a, there's not just one. I think there's many of them, but most importantly, stay connected.
0: Shane, in regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you have ever received?
1: One of the best things that I've, that I've heard that I use often, is move your ass and your mind will follow. And that came from David at uh, Azure Acres. And uh, David would say this often, because when we feel resistant about something, it's probably the best time when we should go do it. If we're feeling resistant about going to a meeting, about reaching out to somebody that we need help, you know, whatever it is, even waking up to go to work, like we need to get our ass up and go. So if you keep that in the back of your mind, Move your ass and your mind will follow. You can use that as a tool when you're feeling that way. You don't let that, don't let that mindset win because it will win every time until you figure it out. So you really learn how to, how to deal with it. And so when you're feeling like not doing something, you know what? I'm going to get my ass up and I'm going to go. And once I'm on my way there, I'm going to feel 10 times better than I went and I'm going to know I'm doing the next right thing and doing the next right thing will lead to the next right thing and then the next right thing and so forth. So move your ass and your mind will follow.
0: Shane, what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners who are in early recovery, recovery in general, or they're thinking about quitting drinking?
1: I would say just be honest with yourself. I know it's a hard thing to do. I know nobody wants to do it. But if you're honest with yourself, you can truly make changes in your life. The other thing I would say is never be ashamed. We've all done some stupid things in our lives. Uh, We've all made mistakes. But... The beauty of recovery is that you're, you're going to get a second chance. I got a second chance. You're going to get a chance to find out who you really are, who you really can be. You can live out your dreams. You can do the things in life that you really aspire to do, you know, and it's not impossible. Nothing is impossible. Like anybody could do it. So stand up, you know, be a man, be a woman, admit your faults, admit your mistakes and move on from it because it's in the past. There's nothing you could do about it right now. Start living your life today. Start enjoying every single moment because you never know when your car is going to
0: be pulled. Shane, tell listeners where they can find more about you, your podcast. And I understand you have meetings on Sunday mornings, a virtual meeting. Explain that and tell us more about the Sober Guy podcast.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So that Sober Guy podcast, you can find it on iTunes, on Stitcher. Go to www.thatsoberguy.com. Uh, There's some more information on there. Um, There's a few articles I've written on there. There's lots of good interviews with different people. I also started That Sober Guy meetings. So what that is, is it's a live online meeting that you can join from your smartphone, from your tablet, from your desktop, your laptop, wherever the hell you're at. Uh, I had one yesterday. I'm I'm starting to do them on Sundays now, Sunday mornings. So it's nine o'clock Pacific time here on the West Coast. And um, you register on the website, and we send you an email, and you you register. It's real quick, and then you can log in from your home, yesterday or wherever you're at, coffee shop, on your drive, if you're on, you know, wherever you are. I had yesterday some folks from Toronto, from New York, from Washington, from California. I mean, all over the place. And it's such a great resource to be able to talk with people all over, you know, and hear different stories and, and different things that we're all struggling with. So you can check that out on there. And as far as, yeah, the podcast, like it's iTunes, Stitcher, and um, my email address too is, is uh, my email address is sobriety at com. You can hit me up there with any questions, comments, or if you just need to talk.
0: Shane, thank you so much for joining us today. Appreciate it. Paul, thank you, man. There are some exciting things happening in the Recovery Elevator Nation right now. We have launched a private recovery elevator facebook group sure we have a recovery elevator facebook page which you can like just go and click like and you get all access to the free content published but we also have a recovery elevator private accountability group this also is free and simply just search recovery elevator if you haven't liked the page go ahead and do so but then ask to join the group there really are no sobriety requirements to be in the group you really just need to want to stop drinking. Or as Paul, who I interview in episode 12 says, you got to be sick and tired of being sick and tired. Again, it doesn't matter if you've been sober for two days or two minutes, reach out, get help because it's really tough and you're impossible to do this alone. It's a phenomenal resource and I use it daily for my own sobriety. So join the group. I would also like to thank the person who gave us an anonymous $200 donation and these donations, which you can do it on the Recovery Elevator Sobriety app on the iPhone or Android or on the recoveryelevator.com website, 100% of these donations go to programs dedicated towards helping victims of alcoholics or just alcoholics. In Recovery Elevator, thank you so much for joining us. And as Elliot says in episode 5, in fact, this is one of my favorite episodes. I'm not just recording these podcasts and putting them in the memory bank or in some file that I'll never listen to again. I've heard every one of these podcasts probably 10 to 15 times. In fact, there was a time in Vegas where I was struggling and actually listened to my own podcast. I was standing in the lobby of the Pellagio, those beautiful glass designs up top. I didn't have a hands-free headset, so I was literally playing the podcast, holding the speaker next to my ear. I had a friend who's never been to Vegas, and he was outside looking at the magical fountains. For some reason, I wanted a drink, but instead I took a seat, listened to about five minutes of the podcast, and I was ready to go, and I made it through sober. So again, quick tangent, as Elliot from Interview 5 says... You took the elevator down, you got to take the stairs back up, you can do this.